SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. Everybody across the land, here's a special from SequelCast, though I don't know what it's gonna be about. Maybe Woody Allen, maybe Spike Lee. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast Special, a show about whatever I damn please, usually pop culture related. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is Thrasher. Well, it's nine to five. And Alex. You gotta punch the clock. Why don't you punch your boss? <laughs> so I, I know we're not talking about movies involving a clock mutilation, but um, why don't you explain the topic a bit, Alex? So I guess... Um, to bring it, uh, to give it a thesis, I guess the theme for the episode is, uh, for this bonus episode is that, you know, um, we all typically have jobs outside the, uh, podcasting realm and we all have to make a living. And I always have this, uh, keen curiosity of whenever you watch a movie and you see, uh, you know, your job being performed in front of you, say, whether you're a librarian or a delivery driver or, you know, you repair refrigerators, or if, uh, you know, you're a food truck owner or a server or a maitre d', it's always kind of curious when you see, you know, uh, Danny Aiello trying to shape pizza dough and do the right thing, or, um, you know, Dennis Hopper ordering a burger at a food truck in L.A. So I always just thought it was interesting to explore uh, various ways jobs are depicted in movies as connected to jobs that we've had personally throughout our lives, whether it be landscaping, cooking, or whatever. Yeah, very good. It, um, yeah, I, I really like this topic. I think it's it's unique, and it's something that everyone has had a, I mean, there's some exceptions, I guess, but mostly everyone has had a job at some point in their life, uh, unless you were a child or a trust fund, maybe, I suppose. And so he, the, the one that came to mind first for me was uh, one about a job I worked that I saw while I worked at this job that was portrayed in, in part of the movie. And I'm talking about the uh, Bob Saget directed film. It's a bit of a cult comedy from 1998, Dirty Work. And oh, my ass. There's a scene where they're all in the movie theater and uh, their boss is played by the late Don Rickles. And a uh, really funny scene. And it just, I think what it gets... He calls uh, Artie Lane, who plays uh, Norm's friend in the movie, a baby gorilla. And <laughs> on the Stern show for years, they would call him baby gorilla or use that audio drop. Uh, and he just kind of dresses down the whole crew at the movie theater. And I think what it gets right about working at a movie theater is you you wear these like dorky looking uh, uh, outfits with the vest. And, and it's like overly formal. And it's way too many people for what's a very simple job. They tend to overstuff it with people. And the way the, the movie theaters 
Um, I forget. Am I the only person that's worked in the movie theater here? I've had close friends that have worked in movie theaters, uh-huh. so I've, 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 I've grazed the experience. Yeah. Thrasher? Oh, Thrasher's on mute. Okay. Ah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I don't believe he has. I'm, You know, I'm looking at this Wikipedia for this movie. I did not know it's based on a Roald Dahl short story. That Wait, Dirty Work is? Yes. Uh, Vengeance is Mine Incorporated. Uh, I'm going to type to Thrasher. Oh, try, try now. Now can you hear Okay, me? yes. Now I can hear you. Excellent. I don't know why my microphone was muted. It's it's easy to do by accident. Um, have, yeah. The question was, have you worked at a theater? Movie no, theater? no, I have not. Okay, so I'm the only one that has. Um, we, we were just saying that uh, I never knew this. I, I guess I haven't, I mean, I haven't seen this since it was in theaters, but uh, Dirty Work is apparently based, loosely based on a short story by uh, Roald Dahl called uh, Vengeance is Mine. Oh, um, I thought, and, though, the strangest Roald Dahl credit was You Only Live Twice, the Bond movie, but here we go. <laughs> this was this ups that ante. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Rodol and Ian Fleming were, were close friends, and with, um, uh, you know, if, if all you know of him is, is the children's books, which of course are excellent, you really owe it to yourself to delve into his short stories. There are a lot of these kind of like black comedies, uh, some are even kind of horrific, and, and, and he had a few uh, television series, uh, Tales of the Unexpected, and there's another one that's kind well, of like Way, a British... Way Out is the other one. Yeah, Way, Way Out, and... and um, yeah. Tales of the Unexpected is on Amazon Prime in the U.S., I believe, as of this uh, time of recording in April of 2021. But it it's a really, I mean, the show's kind of hit and miss, but what I love about it is uh, some, some of them are pretty good. You have a lot of good character actors, and Roald Dahl uh, will kind of introduce the episodes, although he tends to do that less and less as the series goes on. And he just seems like he just had a drink and he doesn't want to be there, and he's kind of grumpy. So that, it's kind of funny to see. But yeah, dirty work with the people working the theater. It's a short but sweet scene. And it kind of gets the... It, what I was going to say is when you work at a movie theater, you um, they tend the managers tend to make all the movies start around the same time. So that means you have a lot of downtime and do a lot of uh, fucking around on the job. It's very, very easy working in a movie theater with the exception of... If they have like cleaning the theaters, it's boring, but it's not difficult. The toilets are annoying, but that's in any job really. Um, yeah. Cleaning the the popcorn's a pain in the ass, but it's not nearly as bad as a as a French fry fryer as a fry pit. <laughs> um, I guess we'll go round robin, uh, Alex. Since this is your topic, what's the, what's the first movie that comes to mind? Well, I guess um, one other uh, brief is uh, one other brief aside is that. I think another reason why I brought this up, too, is just that I don't know why. I've predominantly been in food service for most of my life, but I've just had so many different weird jobs, which include uh, bicycle delivery food person, um, living museum interpreter, uh, catering bartender server, bartender host, manager, whatever, uh, busser cook, chef, what have you, a lot of pizza cooking and a lot of that. Um, and also, uh, did some acting, uh, theater and for short films. And I was also briefly, very briefly in sales. It's terrible at that. Um, so I guess, uh, one of the first ones, I guess I would like to mention is a really interesting, um, there's a lot of restaurant movies out there. So I guess that's going to be kind of a recurring thing. And I noticed one thing that's really fascinating is that a lot of LA set movies, 
always feature somebody working in food service, whether they're like vendors or food trucks. Someone's always grabbing like a hot dog or mm-hmm. someone is a waiter. Someone's a maitre d' or they're like, you know, working on a script and they're hosting at a restaurant or something like that. Um, you know, like uh, Linda Hamilton in Terminator. Um, well, well that character. is the classic job if you're an actor, right? Your day job yeah, is a waiter because exactly. it, it, you can flex more. Yeah, because when you're, it's funny too, because like serving, you know, people always ask you, they'll always ask you this question. It's like, what do you really do? You know, it's like, this is your job. <laughs> oh, like, are you yeah. working on a novel? Are you going to college? Are you working on your thesis mm. as an actor? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what, what do you, what's your real job? And they're kind of like put aside when you say, this is like my main thing. You know what I mean? Or you're like, I'm actually the manager and I'm not a server. Not that there's anything wrong with being a server. It's actually a very lucrative uh, profession, but it's just, it's funny though. It's like on the sly, they kind of like look at you like, so what do you really do? Like, you know, they'll try to size you up. And I always think that's hilarious. So we'll get to the, the, your first movie you'll mention in a minute, but I have to ask, because I've worked a bit at um, some uh, restaurants, uh, albeit back of the house. Or no, I, no, I did front of the house at one place, excuse me. Um, so I've, I've done both sides. Uh, but do you uh, prefer it when waiters keep their tips individually, or do you like the, the sharing system? Pre-COVID, I would say keep your tips. Um, but mm. now with so much business is uh takeout and or delivery if you do delivery um it just makes so much more sense to pool but then it's it also kind of um depends like if you're more high-end establishment you know like for instance i have like a section of tables i can upsell wine i can get you know you can kind of schmooze so like i feel like if you upsell your table like a fifteen hundred dollar bottle of wine then you've earned that gratuity you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, would, it would seem a little unfair to you know scri- scramble that around but um so it's on a sliding scale but as a whole i would root for um I, as a whole, I would, you know, predominantly root for uh, keeping your tips. But post COVID, I would say pooling. And also, the thing with pooling is that it encourages everyone to work up to the level of everyone else, you know. And um, you can kind of weed out the lingerers um, all the more quicker that way. Yeah, because ideally, if you're a good manager, you want to do high turnover in a restaurant because you get a lot of uh, flakes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Thrasher, you ever work in a you did food service though. You worked at a pizza place, I remember, right? Yeah, I worked at a pizza place. I was going to bring that up in connection with Teenage Mutant Ninja Two, Ninja Turtles Two: The Secret of the Ooze, uh, because of uh, <clears throat> because of the pizza delivery boy, who's a, a main character in that. Yes, yeah, yes. I, I ran the place. I made pizzas. I cleaned the place. And during the brief period where the where the place did deliveries, I did deliveries. Nice. And did that's you like thing. the deliveries? It it was nice to be able to get out of the uh, out of the, the place and just to be in my car listening to the music I wanted to listen to. Mm. So that was nice. There there are two very big snags with the uh, delivery. Uh, one is when you have a customer that just terrifies you. <laughs> you mean someone is naked or someone's creepy? Well, no, that that specifically <laughs> never happened to me. I never, I was never in a big sausage pizza situation at that job. <laughs> but like, there was a there was a a, a delivery, and this, this was actually shortly before I I left. Uh, I had to deliver a pizza, and it was like Super Bowl Sunday or something like that. It was some big sporting event, and I and I go to this this apartment, uh, and the door opens. And there's, and I'm I'm trying not to make light of this because I feel like there was a real situation, but like there the the woman who answered the door just seemed terrified. Oh boy! And mm. there was a guy sitting on the couch, just like 
just kind of like casually but not casually looking in our general direction as I'm handing over the pizza and exchanging the money. And like I was given I was given the wrong amount of money, so I had to go back to the door <sighs> to collect the right amount oh, of money. Nerving. Oh yeah, and it was just like I, I just I, it just like like she didn't look like she had been injured or anything, but like it just it just seemed like something sinister was going on in that apartment, and I was just like right at the edge of it, and it just was was profoundly Oof. disturbing and uncomfortable. And and if and if that woman wasn't any danger, I sure as hell hope she got out of it. And and if that guy was up to something, I I I hope I hope a hammer was brought down on him. Um, but who knows? Maybe it was just a misunderstanding. Maybe that's just yeah. what they're like. Maybe they just uh, have a fight. Who knows? You know, he yeah. wanted sausage. She wanted pepperoni. Oh, yeah. yeah things can get ugly. <laughs> and, and the the other yeah. thing that – and I have never – because I have seen, you know, in movies where, like, something weird happens on a pizza delivery, such as meeting a bunch of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But something <laughs> I've never seen is what happens when you're delivering pizza in a, in a neighborhood that's difficult to navigate. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. I had a I had a pizza delivery that ended up being forty five minutes late. Ugh. Uh and the reason it was forty five minutes late, it took me forever to find. And I just like left them the pizza. Uh, the The whole reason <sighs> it was forty five minutes late is that there there was a section of of apartments that was primarily rented out to students because it was right next to a college campus, and you you know how um houses on like on or like buildings on a street how like the numbers escalate mm-hmm. yes so i had to deliver to a an apartment with a high number well when you go down that street halfway down the street the apartments change their numbering system <laughs> oh well that's almost seems intentionally cruel <laughs> oh yeah like like it sk- like it skips like 500 like it skips 500 like it, it went from like 500 to 1000 and the place i needed yeah. to go was like 620 and oh. it took me and like it yeah. took me forever to find it the reason it took me forever to find it before the string of numbers that starts you know 100 200 whatnot that's where the 600s are oh my goodness that's mm. ridiculous and so, i found yeah. them by accident <laughs> I found them because I pulled over to check a map and where I pulled over just happened to be in sight of the section that I was looking for. And that's, Oh, there's the 600s way over there. (laughs) And I've, and I've never seen that come up in a, in a pizza delivery thing. I've never seen, you know, I've, I've never (laughs) seen uh, someone just get totally lost because of poor city planning. Did you think the portrayal of the pizza delivery boy in uh, Ninja Turtles 2 was accurate? It was played, I believe, by Ernie Reyes Jr., and he was the one of the stunt men in, in the Turtles in the first film. Yeah, and I believe he's I believe he was also the star of uh, Three Ninjas. Or, or Surf Ninjas. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those. Yep. Surf, yeah, it was Surf Ninjas. Um uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. When when you start, yes, that is exactly what it's like because it's cool. You're meeting new people. Uh, you get that fresh cooked pizza smell in, in in your vehicle, which is is a nice smell to have in your vehicle, uh, whether you're hungry or not. I just I just love it. So yeah, like the first <laughs> month month and a half, that's what it's like, and then after that, it just kind of becomes a grind, and you wish you didn't have to do this. <laughs> And that's the funny thing, too, is that so many movies, like, growing up especially with, I guess, Ninja Turtles being one of them, Home Alone, 
uh, the Back to the Future movies, that pizza is, like, so fun, you know? Like, if you work at a pizza place, you're, like, spinning the dough. You're the fucking man. You know, you're spinning the dough. You're a driver. You know, you're always around delicious, awesome food. And there's, there's just something so, like, distinctly 90s about it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Mookie, Pizza Parlor, you know, Wayne's World, Pizza Hut, uh, a lot of, like, product placement, Ninja Turtles, stuff like that. And oh. it, like you said, Thrasher, at first you're like, oh, this is fun and cool. And then, you know, I wish I didn't have to do this. <laughs> so here's some legislation I'd love to see proposed. People who live in gated communities don't get to order pizza. They're just zoned out of pizza. Because, uh, one, they don't tip. And, two, hmm. it's gated communities, because there's often heightened security, just creates a whole bunch of logistical nightmares that yeah. make delivering there nearly impossible. So prime ex- prime example so when I started working there, cell phones weren't all that were like, and smartphones weren't all that common. So mm-hmm. I flat out did not have a, a mobile phone when I started working there. Uh, so, so if we had a delivery that went to a gated community, I had to borrow someone's phone so that I could call <laughs> in to be buzzed through the gate. God. Because yeah. they never had someone at the gate that you could say, hey, I got a pizza for this place. Uh, you would have to, like, call in. And I remember one time I was given the wrong number to call. <laughs> and I don't oh, know who it was. No. So, so that slowed things down because I had to call back to the shop and hope I could get through to get the right number. But I remember calling and, like, yes, I've got the uh, pizza for the Johansons. The what? Uh, yes, I'm here at the gate with the pizza for the Johansons. I didn't order a pizza. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I must have the wrong number. Yes, you do. <laughs> Why are you angry? <laughs> wrong numbers There's... aren't that inconvenient. Especially pre-smartphone, you know what I mean? Yes, right. Where oh. the, the phone is more of a center of the home. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, more of a personal thing. You're bothering me at my home. Oh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm talking to you on a device. I'm not inside Don't call house. me during supper time, you know? Oh, so yeah. it's like, it's a minor inconvenience. Like I've never understood what. Oh, the other thing is, yeah, you'll ever notice like when, when people like when you you call a wrong number, but then you realize it's a wrong number, so you hang up before like after the first ring. Yes. But yeah. then they call you back because they mm-hmm. really want to know why you were calling and hung up. <laughs> they don't have much going on, I'm assuming. I guess um... I guess not. But like that became a thing. Like be, because so the pizza place was at a mall, and of course when people saw that we had a visible phone, they would always want to borrow it. Uh, to make, of course, always a quick call, um, which yeah, I eventually just stopped doing. And I went so far yeah. as I actually hid the phone at one point because I got tired of it. Because every, and I'm not joking, every single time something would go wrong. Like the guy who had a 40 fucking minute business call on our phone. <laughs> I timed it. It was over 40 goddamn minutes. And I came very close to just unplugging it from the wall. Uh, did, he must have did, sensed did my you... distress brought it back did, then the then yeah. the other is when a kid needed to call his mom to be picked up something had happened and of course he dials the wrong number and i get an angry phone call from the person he dialed like why did you call me <laughs> well first i didn't uh second like why are you calling back like why he didn't like oh, it's just it's awful people should people should never use another business's phone <laughs> Well, back for back for you, Alex. You mentioned you know working in the uh, food service industry. What's a movie that kind of pops out for you, whether it's inaccurate or accurate? Um, one thing I think is kind of funny. I guess we'll do it. I'll do it a quick double flip. Uh, 
Mildred Pierce is like one of the best movies ever made, and I just love the narrative of you know like a a single woman making it and by herself, so to speak, in America. And she opens a restaurant, and I find it so funny because in the early scenes, she just kind of has like a skillet with like pieces of chicken in it. <laughs> it's just so funny to think of like a dining room of people, and she you know you have this like you know one little lady out back with like one you know cast iron skillet with four pieces of chicken in it. You know, there's probably like what two things on the menu, those two things of chicken. Um, so older film, obviously, you're not really going for realism. Um, and then I guess to juxtapose that with the more realistic one um, would be, I know I referenced it earlier, but do the right thing. I like the one, the neighborhood vibe. It's like your local pizza joint. And especially if, if you're talking about New York, you know, your local pizza joints like City Hall, you know, that's where you meet, that's where you hang out. And um, as, even though it does have a nice realistic feel, when you watch Danny Aiello work the dough, when you watch that scene next time, look for this. He's really not shaping or stretching it. There's literally just like this tattered piece of shit dough sitting on the uh, on the cutting board. And he's just kind of like poking it with his hands, you know, like mm. you guys have seen someone like work in need a ball of dough before, you know, it takes yes. a little bit of physicality. It's just so funny because it just looks like he's like doing like he's playing like a piano or something like <laughs> he's just going eh, 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 eh. And it's it's funny because it stands out like a sore thumb to me now. It doesn't like undercut the film at all because Do the Right Thing is a goddamn masterpiece. But um, it's just a it's a funny little detail to look for now. It's it really cracks me up. There for uh, when I you know shortly after I first moved here to Portland in uh, around 2006 or so, I eventually got a went a, did a contract job that I was able to jump on full time at a place. And this I did data entry for uh, about five years. And that's like a real uh, blue collar job. And, and although the movie is not about data entry, it, the, the people the main character works with reminds me of a lot of the people I uh, had as coworkers. Is a, a Mike Judge film a lot of people I think haven't seen, uh, Extract. Mm. It got lost in the shuffle, released 2009, starring Jason Basement, but it, uh, Bateman, not Basement. Um, and it's about uh, he, the guy works at a nut extract uh company so they make this 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 kind of like almond uh flavoring but there's an accident and one of the employees uh, loses a testicle in the nut factory (laughs) ha ha mike judge Uh but 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 there's a real kind of uh ben affleck is also i mean there there's like a a cut you get a camaraderie of the people you work with but also um how can i say this like they're they're a lot of the co-workers didn't go to to college they you know it's a different kind of uh, it was a culture shock to be absolutely frank but oh, it's yeah, just totally. it, it reminded me more of working a job like in, in high school with a with a bunch of kids in a way but they're not kids they're adults so i mean there's just a lot of kind of shenanigans going on and it's uh and in the lead jason bateman does a good job of being like very very bitter uh, about the job, it's just how I was doing data entry, and Mila Kunis is, is pretty good as a, a sort of a femme fatale. So not the best movie in the world, but if you like Mike Judge, it's uh, you, you might as well watch it. It's short. I don't. That's not that's, a opinion endorsement. It, it's but, so funny because when you said Mike Judge Office, I was like, oh, Office Space, and then you're like, yeah. this other movie. I was like, blah, blah. um, 
it's but it's yeah. fascinating because it tracks an arc for Mike Judge because like when when he started as just this animator in charge of a small staff trying to crank out Beavis and Butthead and and and, and Office Space shorts, you know he's very much on the side of the workers. But as his career has grown and as he's become in charge of bigger, more high profile projects, you can see that he does start to get more sympathy for the bosses. Yeah, right. And and and, and his his past, he worked at a as a. Um computer uh programmer so i mean that's something why the it crowd is a lot more like it but you're right like there's more management stuff there's more office i mean are you thinking of silicon valley i'm sorry silicon valley yes um it crowds the british one but about tech support but yeah it it is interesting to see how his career has gone on the other hand you have like um king of the hill which i really need to watch more of i didn't watch a whole lot of it at the time just because i it was more of a simpsons guy i guess but yeah it, what I've seen, like, they really develop the characters in that show in a way more oh. than on something like The Simpsons. It's almost more of a character piece. And it's easy yeah. to judge it as these stupid hillbillies, but the stuff it's talking about is a lot uh, deeper than that. It's funny because, yeah, when that show premiered, I didn't quite get it. And then over the years, a little more, I think, maturity. Now, uh, we're actually, my girlfriend and I are actually rewatching it because she had never seen it before. And it's just like, it's so good and it's so witty. It's very intelligent. And mm-hmm. it's funny because at first you kind of think, like, oh, ha ha, you know, it's like this country club mentality of like, oh, these rednecks. But it's also, it's a very, like, very subtly measured satire. But it also goes into a lot of interesting. Uh, a lot of interesting directions, whether it's like civic or social, um, you know, concerns. And um, yeah, like I said, it really does develop its characters. It's a very good show. Certainly. Um, and propane accessories. Yeah, propane accessories. Are, the, the hook that really got me into it was I, we, I was at um, Penny Arcade or Pax Prime in 2009 and i was in a hotel room with like 12 guys literally like to save money i, I thought oh we oh, have yeah. five guys to a room and this was like people sleeping on top of each other just ridiculous yeah i don't think they like cordwood amongst themselves they should have yeah. thrown us out of the hotel but they didn't but um <laughs> anyhow the uh to, to kill time before the convention opened, they were having a, a king of the hill marathon and I, I told my friend like evan i don't get it and he says well matt uh, just just pay attention every time Hank Hill makes the noise, and that oh right, and he does it all the time. And I just these of, are toilet kind of, sounds, right? <laughs> and we were just uh, you know a bit loaded, and it just made it real funny. So yeah, I'll have to give that a look. Uh, Thrasher, what's another um, kind of job you've worked at where you've seen it portrayed in a movie? So I'm gonna go with. Uh... I'm going to bring the Ben Stiller movie Night at the Museum. And the reason mm-hmm. is because I was for uh, one uh, one year employed by a historical society. Uh, I worked at, let me make sure I'm getting the name right. I worked at uh, the MacArthur Memorial, which is both the memorial for General Douglas MacArthur, who's a, uh, a pivotal figure in, uh, in World War II in the Pacific Theater. Uh, and it's both his memorial, but it's also a museum dedicated to his life and career. Uh, and my my specific job is that they were doing, uh, this was in the, the late 90s, it was part of a big digital archive project. Uh, that they had set up. They had all these books, all all these photo albums from uh, General MacArthur and his family 
And so they had had his, historians go through them and like make annotations for all the photos. And then my job was to scan in the photos from the photo albums and then insert them into a database like with the proper descriptions. Uh -huh. And it was, it was really fascinating. And, and during the time I worked there, it I worked primarily with like family photo albums that that MacArthur and his wife kept while they were living in Japan during the Allied occupation of Japan after the end of uh, the Second World War, and something that that always jumped out at me uh, is that uh, like I'd, I'd go through I'd like almost every photo album I went through this would happen at least once where like it would be oh the family at a beach in Japan. The family having dinner in Japan, uh, the family visiting this garden in Japan, and then there'd be an empty space where a photo should be with a sticker on it that says classified, see case file, whatever, and there'd be a huge string of numbers and letters. Whoa. And I'm like, why the hell is this classified? First, <laughs> it's almost 50 years old. <laughs> Two... It's in the middle of his family having picnics. What happened on this picnic that would be classified? <laughs> like, I couldn't imagine what the hell was there. Or, or was it just, like, classified a long time ago because some weird thing was in the background of the shot and nobody thought to unclassify it because it got lost in, in bureaucracy? That's something I always wanted to know. Like, what was up with the classified photographs from a family <laughs> photo album? <laughs> You know, that was totally just like a spy movie that you just bypassed right there. He was probably like a sleeper agent under deep cover. That's when the <laughs> alien showed up. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, but as far as like the, at like the Night at the Museum goes, one or two things that I think not, that Night at the Museum gets very, very well is one, you do have to entertain yourself. Because if you're not giving tours and you're not like involved in like the restoring of some historical artifact... There really isn't much to do. I mean, I was just in a in an empty room with a computer and a stack of photo albums, just running through a scanner. So I had to entertain myself, and I would play different. You know, I'd play all sorts of different CDs. I had actually worked out. I had done the math and figured out exactly what CDs I needed to play in what combination to have the total runtime precisely equal my workday. That's brilliant. I love. And that it. was pretty cool. Like I knew exactly what song would end. Oh, time to go. But the other thing, at least the first night at the museum gets very, very right, uh, is that at any museum, historical society, whatnot, there is always a pack of old retirement age rascals that are still employed there, and they just fuck it around and do whatever they want, but still command <laughs> a lot of respect. Right, right. It's always funny, too, because, like... You always see movies and stuff, like, you know, there'll be someone like catering, like, a gala or something. And there's always a cliche of, like, the server with, like, the screenplay or something like that. And then, like, with the restaurants out here in Berkshire County, um, there are a lot of, like, you know, big talented actors who, like, spend their summers here. Or they go to Shakespeare and Company or they go to Tanglewood or whatever. And it's just so frustrating sometimes because, like, I remember, you know, like, uh, Daniel Craig and Rachel Weisz came in for dinner one night, you know. And, you know, you want to be classy and everything, but you also, like, there's a part of you like, oh, you want to read my film reviews? <laughs> you know what I mean? God, you know, goodness gracious, I didn't do that because I probably wouldn't have a job afterwards. But um, you always are just like, and you think to yourself, you're like, this is the ultimate cliche right here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, you know, like being the, 
like like you said earlier, Matt, like being the server aspiring actor or something like that, you know. Oh yeah. It's 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 such an urge you want to fight sometimes, you know what I mean? So when you mentioned you you worked at all the restaurants, I, I hadn't seen this movie, but a lot of people I worked with did. How do you feel about the movie Waiting? That's an interesting one because that's like whenever I'm at work or whatever, I would start a new job and people are like, oh, you're into movies. It's like, what do you think about waiting, right? It's like they so got it. And there's a lot of accurate stuff. Uh, like the I've, I remember one thing that stood out to me one was the server. There's one waitress who just loses her collective shit like every <laughs> few minutes <laughs> over like the most complete banal thing. And that's like yeah. a token. Uh, like cliche right there. There's one in every crew of someone who just goes fucking ballistic because someone asked for a side of ketchup or someone wants mustard on the side or something like that. Um, it does get all this stuff true. But the thing is, though, is that like it's realistic if you work at a shitty restaurant, you know what I mean? Not to sound like, you know, elitist or anything, but like if you do work mm -hmm. at like a chain place or like, you know, mm -hmm. a fucking fast food joint or a Denny's or something like that, it's like, yeah, it's realistic if you work there um i don't want to again this sounds so freaking elitist of me but like you know more fine dining there's a little more refinement to it and a little more care in the job but also that's not as entertaining as you know doing whippets and talking shit about your boss so <laughs> yeah i mean not just um you know upscale dining upscale restaurants attract better employees typically but it's also the clientele is different right yeah exactly you know you can't you know, you don't say, like, hey, guys, how's it going? You're not supposed to say guys or folks. You know, you just address them properly and tape, pour the wine and present the bottle and blah, 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 um, But, yeah, I think one other film, I guess, on the other side of the waiting spectrum would be – it's a lesser-known movie, but it's got, like, what I refer to as, like, the New England alumni of, like, actors and directors and stuff um, called The Dinner Rush, and it's got um, – mm. Danny Aiello, uh, Kirk Aceveda, uh, Sandra Bernhardt plays like a snotty film cr uh, food critic, and oh. it's like he's it, uh, Danny Aiello is like an old mafia boss who's like going kind of legit, owns part of an Italian joint, um, and the chef's like an up and comer and stuff, and he wants to do more contemporary stuff. The the owner wants to be like you know skeddy and meatballs, sausage and peppers, and uh, meanwhile the sous chef has these like outstanding gambling debts to some of their uh, organized crime cronies and it's like the busiest night they've ever had they've got the critic they're totally mobbed and meanwhile the sous chef is losing his collective mind because he's you know like 10 20 grand in the hole or something like that um and it's a it's a great build-up and it's also a really flattering realization of i guess fine dining and um you know more contemporary cuisine but i guess in dining terms it's a little outdated because i think this is like 2002 but it's a it's a good fascinating film and it's got a cool uh, like you know mafia backstory. So definitely check out the Dinner Rush. Great cast. I'll actually uh, look it up real quick. But um, I would definitely recommend that one. Well, Sandra Bernhardt, she's always a real uh, firecracker on the screen, and she I don't think she really had the career that um, she probably deserved with her talent. It's I'm just always so amazed. The more I, I study film history and, and you know. Uh, Thrasher and I went to the same or went to the same art school, and it's like there's a lot of really talented people that just don't make it, whatever make it means, whatever you define that. Right. It has nothing yeah. to do with a person's skill. Yeah, and it's always are you always find that like character actors are like the 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 like sweat and blood of the industry, you know what I mean? Um 
like a lot of the guys in this movie actually like Dan Aiello, John Rothman, um uh, Alexis Brudato, uh, Alex Corrado, Michael McClone, Kirk Aceveda, um, Summer Phoenix, a lot of people you'd see in like Oz or The Wire or Sopranos mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, it's a great talented bunch, but you know, you I had to look them up, you know, because <laughs> I just couldn't think of the names off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, fascinating movie. Need some adventure in your life? What Mad Universe is a podcast about the history of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, where we delve the depths of pop culture history. Everything's the same politically, but we have ray guns. The the actual motive isn't to explore something that's, quote, scientifically possible or... But neither is Star Wars, and I know there's arguments about that, but I would definitely consider Star Wars science fiction. You haven't read Dune! No, I haven't. You can never be the Kwisatz Haderach. What Mad Universe on the Greenlit Podcast Network. With a purposeful grimace and a terrible smile, join Nikki and Wyatt as we stomp our way through the history of Toho's Dai Kaiju films in Discuss All Monsters. Are you telling me we're going to discuss all monsters? We won't stop until there isn't a monster left to discuss. Smash that play button like Godzilla and King Kong smash an 18th century Japanese pagoda. Only on the Greenlit Podcast Network. I would say another kind of like job-related movie for me would be um, the, I mean, this was, was a real like blockbuster comedy at the time, but Steve Carell in the 40-year-old virgin. Oh. oh, yeah. And specifically, there's the eBay store. And I, I thought, when I saw it in the movie, I'm like, this is a stupid idea. Uh, I hadn't been to California at the time. But um, regardless, after this movie came out, a whole bunch of eBay stores started popping up. And I, I worked at one briefly. It wasn't officially licensed by eBay. I mean, I don't think eBay... I don't think they ever had a storefront. If I'm, uh, but but anyhow, this was kind of a. I, not only did I work at an eBay store, but I got to see like uh, the the manager was a great guy. But um, he moved his whole family down, quit his office job, and did the eBay store full time. And then it promptly went out of business pretty quickly. And, oh, and to be awesome. and to work at a small business when that happens is, uh, I think, an experience everyone should have. It's really interesting. Uh, and sad, of course, to go through it. But it's basically an eBay store, for those who don't know, is for people that don't want to, and there's still businesses that do this, I just don't think they have the cost of a storefront. It's like a uh, people that don't want to handle all the shit of doing eBay. You just farm it out to the shop, and yeah. he, had, he had a photography studio. It's a pawn shop is the word I was looking for. And it, to a lesser extent, like the show Pawn Stars gets stuff right to a point, even if that show is, is mostly... Uh, rigged because it's a reality show but people think what they bring in is of such high value and think they'll get a zillion dollars for it right it's a family heirloom right yeah people lie all the time and not only that but like on ebay because you're competing against the world it makes stuff worth so much less um i mean the funniest one is a guy brought in a a cardboard print of um vincent van gogh's starry night that's uh, van gogh isn't it it's been yeah, so long. yeah that's been yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah probably his most famous painting and starry night. It, right and, and, and this wasn't even like uh i don't know like an 11 by 17 frame print or something this was just printed on cardboard like this is probably something the guy maybe oh, he no. split from the mall or he's re-gifting it Right, this is something you would not pay. You shouldn't pay more than five dollars for. This was probably yeah. you have a hard time by, giving that away. Eight by right. eight, exactly. Like, 
maybe for uh, yeah this might be like in in an office break room or something it's yeah, like kind of thing. yeah your dentist or something. and he's like like and so we had the right of refusal and we would use it a lot we're like we're not taking that he's like what do you mean it's vincent van gogh and i'm like <laughs> Well, no. <laughs> yes and no. And, and, and like, if, if they insisted, you know, we would do it, but like, we would charge either a ten dollar minimum fee or a thirty percent commission, whichever was more. Right. And and you do it so you don't lose your shirt, and that would get people quite angry. And it's like, well, it's like then don't do it. <laughs> right. And like the eBay stuff, it's really hard. Like we, I mean, it's you're working with computers, and the photography stuff is fun, but to take a good photo is is hard you have to have the magic uh seo right you have to have the words in the mm -hmm. limited space and the titles and descriptions to attract people uh most people just like the photos they don't like descriptions and right. it's and then you have the customers trying to give you advice on you really should put this in the description it's like fuck off like <laughs> so <laughs> i mean this was a rare movie that it inspired a whole new kind of business for a brief time and in and when I first drove past this eBay store, I thought it was a joke, and it wasn't. Yeah. And and so I got a job there just for a few months before they went out of business. And uh, so yeah, I mean that, that that's all I say about that. But I mean that it has a very the movie it has a very young um, the hell is his name? He's in the Scorsese stuff. The the fat guy. Uh, oh, Jonah Hill. Thank you, Jonah Hill. I shouldn't have said yeah. the fat guy. But yeah, he um, Jonah Hill like having all this weird stuff he wants to try and sell is. It is absolutely on the money. Um, so I think he's got the best line, right? He picks up like these pair of like sparkly like platforms and he's like, I need these. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to buy them. Can I buy them? Yeah. Well, you have to go online, but they're here in a store. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was like, I can understand that confusion if I was just walking down the street and I'm like, oh, yes. your yeah. random stuff. I'll go and check it out and then have somebody be like, no, you have to go home and bid on it. Be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I sold my old lawnmower through through one of those shops like uh, over a decade ago. It was overall a good experience. I, I went into it with realistic expectations. But you, your mention of reality shows, and this ties into a, a job I'm not sure I've ever seen well just well shown in uh -huh. a, in a okay. movie, which is when I used to work at the local comic shop. Uh, you would always get people wanting to sell you their old comics that had a vastly overinflated idea of like what it's worth. But this is Deadpool. Well, yeah, Deadpool's a popular character, but keep in mind this is like what Deadpool issue seventeen from his least interesting run that nobody likes right. to talk about or even let alone remember. You know, and and then of course when they would have like a special like an important issue that is worth like a few bucks they'll like it might it, it's it's probably going for like roughly 10 bucks by in, in good condition by any reasonable metric they'll want to sell it to you for for 20 bucks the justification being oh it'll increase in value well yeah by like maybe 10 cents a year so at, i have to ask best. what do you think about the most famous reality show set in the comic shop i can think of is kevin smith's comic book men I've I've never seen it, but, really? but like okay. you mentioned, Pawn Stars and shows like that. Yes, yes, yes. Those shows create so many disruptions in collectors' markets because mm -hmm. all they have to do is say on camera, "Yeah, I'll pay five thousand for that," even if the current going market rate is like three hundred, and then suddenly <laughs> yeah. everyone starts jacking up their prices. 
And because everyone's jacking up their prices for that collectible, nobody buys it. And then the market completely collapses. And then you've destroyed its value. So once people start selling it again, they're selling it for 100 maybe less. And that's how bubbles burst. Yeah, yeah. And that's how bubbles burst. And I mean, even you see things like the more respected shows, like a low-key, like a, a PBS Antiques Roadshow, they, they have the same effect. But I will say, if you're looking for weird chatskis to put... Uh, in your office or in your whether it's a home office or just weird little things you like to put around your house it's don't go to a uh i would say don't go to a flea market don't go to a um garage sale although you can find good stuff there go to an estate sale you can find mm -hmm. really really good deals on higher quality things at an estate sale i i, I got once we got rid of it because um, it was a bit too uh I guess racist at the end of the day, it was a bit embarrassing, but it was these vintage 1950s uh, decanters. Oh, and dear. So, yeah, you can see where this is going. So the tequila was a Mexican guy and the cork was like the hat. And it was almost like these Mad Magazine kind of uh, caricatures. It was <laughs> delightful. The, the, I forget the Native American was like, um, not not literally fire water. I forget what it was called. The scotch was like a guy in a kilt. And you know, I, I just found it de oh. delightfully uh inappropriate and like we only wanted to buy one or two and the woman at the estate sale was like here you can find, you can get all of them for five dollars more take the one whole of these, set yeah one of these is broken they're a ceramic i think um and we, we didn't put any liquor in it i because I, I you know I, I just wouldn't for uh health reasons i, I wouldn't <laughs> trust <laughs> even though it's with liquor with high alcohol content but, but it was like kind of a charming out of time uh oh yeah totally it's like so so racist it looks like a parody of racism uh right. yeah yep you got it yeah like uh, if you had to explain racism to like an alien or something you know <laughs> um it was actually funny when you mentioned comic book store i immediately thought of uh true romance and the cool oh, tie-in yeah, to uh, that was that we had a comic book shop in my hometown and the owner was actually inspired to name it after the place in true romance it was called heroes for sale um <laughs> which was actually pretty cool and um story's gonna take kind of a dark turn it was like the place where everyone hung out you know it was like you know when you see like buffy or something it's like they always have these like magical like hangouts for like teenagers you know yes, that's yeah, like yeah. awesome and, cool. and like that was our place and then it turns out later on the dude who owned it was like sleeping with like all the minor girls and was really oh, creepy and no. gross and yeah it really kind of put a damper on that and uh yeah unfortunately not that happens more than people like to expect i had a manager at a movie theater that that did that oh. although that's not why he i think he he got fired for some other reason he would do and he would he would be the guy that i mean your, your manager on a movie theater it's not that much money but he would always have the most expensive sports car so maybe there was embezzling going on yeah who knows right and also, there's if there's enough if there's any cash going around a business, then there's opportunity to steal, basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah, unless credit card only, brother. If there's two hundred dollars being exchanged hands, cash, fifty yeah. of those dollars can go in someone's pocket, and yeah. I <laughs> exactly. never, yeah, I never stole when I when I did work with cash or, or did any retail, but I, I certainly knew a lot of people that did. Um, oh yeah, it's, so. it's ridiculous. It always bites you in the ass. I've I've had to fire many people because of that. Um, yeah, but um, mm -hmm. well, yeah, let's, was... let's do one more round here. Um, Alex, what about you? What's what's? It can be another. It, it doesn't have to be a different job each time you go around. But yeah, totally. 
Um, one thing that stuck out to me is not the greatest movie in the world, but I like it a lot. It's just uh, 2016's The Founder, which is um, basically about Ray Kroc, the dude who... That's great, with, my, with uh, Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton. yeah. Keaton, thanks. Go. Yeah, I really dig that movie. Um, and what I like about it is that while, you know, I'm not, you know, a big McDonald's fan, but what I admire, and maybe this is coming from a more managerial side of my personality, but I like that a film actually explores and kind of have some more sympathetic treatment, not just only of management and ownership, but also in just the way a business is run, consistency, numbers, um, putting out quality product at the, you know what I mean? Making sure everything's on the same, you know, everyone's on the same page and everything like that and how that will inevitably lead you to, you know, a position of success. And it's that, you know, if you serve a burger and fries one way at one time and it's the right way, then it needs to be that way every time. And I love that the the film The Founder actually really explores that and that um, it shows how this dude basically put together a kind of airtight, air, you know, airproof method of delivering food, which is like kind of revolutionary. Um, like the history of fast food is fascinating because – if you think about it, like the notion we take it for granted now, like the notion of like a burger in a minute is like insane. You know what I mean? When you think about like, you know, baking a burger at home, you take the beef, you shape it, you season it, you sear it or grill it or whatever. And then seeing how, um, you know, something like that, just it's, it's almost, um, it's, it's this really fascinating arc in that you kind of have these two brothers, uh, the McDonald brothers who had this little homegrown family business and how this other dude kind of took this vision and just kind of made it his own. And granted, you know, uh, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not going to endorse fast food because it's incredibly unhealthy and bad for you. But the machinations and history behind it is really fascinating stuff. And um, yeah, it's kind of uh, it's it's and it's interesting and it's something I kind of cite to this day, whether I'm uh, managing or if I'm in the kitchen or doing something. Uh, you know, with food, and it's always just consistency is key. If, you know, you put four onion rings on a burger, you put four onion rings every time. Don't put one out with three, because someone's going to get it, and they're going to say, last time was four, this time was three. Fuck this place, I'm never coming back. It might sound very banal or stupid, but these are things that people notice, and it can make or break your business. And it's really fascinating to see the founder paint that in a more sympathetic and uh, very, I think, well-drawn uh, light. Oh, actually, if you're if you're interested in in this like McDonald's history type area, Yesterworld did a really neat video, the history uh, and downfall of McDonald Land, which is all about sort of the history oh, of the yes. cartoon character mascots. But it's it also lawsuit, ties, right? but it also ties into the history of the Happy Meal, particularly Disney media tie in Happy Meals. R- really fascinating stuff. Yeah, well, like, it's. Here's a bit of McDonald's trivia. Uh, my dad worked at Coca-Cola at the time doing security, but remember the uh, the whole Super Size Me thing? That oh, was an yeah. initiative suggested by Coca-Cola because oh, they're shit. like, we really? want to sell more soda, so can you do a thing where they can upgrade for a large for cheaper? Maybe they get a bigger fries, do like a combo. Wow. So, and, and that was like a huge... Uh, deal and very very successful until the documentary Super Size Me, <laughs> and when the the general uh, American public, or indeed I would I would argue the world became more health conscious. 
Yeah, oh, that was a big deal. Oh, and uh, as health conscious as they can get, which isn't that yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something fun that did, did turn up, and that is apparently the first Happy Meal was a tie-in with Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yes, that's I that. yeah, And there's a great... The there's a great ad you can find for it where it's a Klingon talking about the Happy Meal, but he's saying all his lines are delivered in Klingonese, and so Gary Owens, legendary <laughs> announcer Gary Owens, is doing the English translation. I'll translate for him. And like, <laughs> and the, it's, the so, it's like surreal, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, so, it's so bizarre. The, the original version of the Klingon language, which was first featured in Star Trek The Motion Picture, was developed uh, Johnny on the Spot by um, the God, my mind is just shot this morning. Uh, the uh, actor that played Scotty, James Doohan, really? Yes, yeah, oh, James yeah. Doohan invented and kind of based it a little bit on, on Russian, I think. And uh, and later on, they they had um, you know academically trained uh, linguists to to really flesh it out, uh, particularly for Next Generation. And you had books like the Klingon Hamlet, right? Oh yeah. Um, all that sort of stuff. But that's a that really, that, yeah, that's really cool. Um, Rasher, what's uh, another? What's your last pick for a job-related movie? So I I saved this for last because it's such a delightful obscurity. Um, but you know, I've worked I've worked you know freelance in in a lot of creative careers most of my life now. And but one of the first like true jobs I had creatively uh, for two years, uh, I was the comics editor for uh the district which was the student-run mm. newspaper at the savannah college of art and design and it was an actual paid position like i had office hours uh i collected a paycheck i did a lot of work it was it was a it was great i got a lot of wonderful experience worked with some amazing people and i'm really proud of the work i did there the reason i bring that up uh is because in the let me see the 1990 thriller the ambulance the main character, uh, played by uh, Eric Roberts, uh, works. Uh, he is a comic book artist, and his boss, his editor, is played by Stan Lee, effectively playing himself. Oh, and, so and let me. So that's I didn't know the editors got paid. That might have meet them. You know, had I known that, perhaps I would have been the news editor, like I was offered by Mark Feminella. Well, like um, it, it wasn't it wasn't much, but it's nice to have that money coming in. Oh, and they didn't pay the writers. How much did they pay you? Uh, I think it was like, I feel like it was like a hundred bucks a week or something like that. Uh, I'm not, wow, I don't, that's more than I expected. Okay, I mean it's and, it's effectively like a stipend, so I think that changes the yes. way it works as far as tax structure goes. <laughs> but it was not it was nice. It was nice having that extra hundred bucks a week. Uh, oh, that's awesome, dude. Um. Sorry, go on. So in the movie, did did you find yourself sympathizing with Stan Lee because you were a comics editor, making sure people hit their deadlines and coming up with ideas for uh, what the theme should be for the week or however you did it? Oh, oh yeah, like as far as like what Stan Lee does, like it's 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 very realistic because like that was his job. He was a he was the Marvel editor for 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 ages, and so yeah, I know it's it's a lot of it is just you know critiquing people's work, you know giving giving them support. That's looking great, Javi. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, and because that's and that's the thing is like everything you're doing as an editor is always to build up someone or to build up their work. You're always trying to make it the best it can be. And that really carries over in Stanley's performance in the ambulance. Uh, 
and, and of course, he, he's endlessly positive about it. I couldn't always be as positive as Stanley was in this film, um, but it was it was but it was it was just it was delightful. And the one thing the one thing though that the movie uh, does get wrong about the comics industry is like when it comes down to it, the artists typically aren't spending time doing art in the office. If they're in the office, it's usually for like a meeting with the editorial board or to hash something out. Most of the actual drawing and inking of the comics happens in a home studio. It, it's very rare after the nineteen like after like the 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 60s onward that you had people working full time in the comics publisher's office it was usually at home but in the ambulance we see like when we see the comic the comic book publisher's office it's just row after row of people at drafting tables making comics i don't think that's ever happened in the last 40 years <laughs> Oh, also, oh. I got to give credit. Ambulance, chilling premise for a movie. Uh, when certain people have met certain medical emergencies, a fake ambulance shows up uh, and uh, abducts them, and they disappear. This is fascinating. That oh, almost yeah. sounds like the Hitchcock kind of premise. Oh, it oh, it absolutely is, and like, and it does, yeah. and it just goes places. James Earl Jones is in it too. So, if you ever want to see James Earl Jones and Stan Lee in a movie, this is it. It's it's just, it's it's kind of delightful in in that way. This is this several several really neat things come together in this movie, The Ambulance from nineteen ninety. I still can't get over how uh, James Earl Jones uh, slummed it and did a a part live action a full motion video in the computer game uh, Command and Conquer. A Tiberian son. Well, he was a working actor. I think he very rarely yeah. turned things down because I think he just liked to work. Well, and also his his son was a teenager at the time and loved those computer games, and so he he did it for his kid, which was nice. But just to see James Earl Jones, like, and, and the other actors in it, the other main actor in it is Michael Bean, but James Earl Jones, I especially, I'm like, holy shit, really? Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was one. Oh, yeah, sorry, go keep on. Going. Go on. Oh, this is kind of off topic, but I wanted to get mm -hmm. this off my chest before we wrapped up the episode. The yeah. film Waiting, when you brought it up, there was this thing, there was like this whole anecdote about people like fucking with food and like spitting yes, in it. Yes, and, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have worked in the restaurant business for like over 16, 17 years, and I have never spat or done anything inappropriate with anyone's food. I've never seen anyone do it except for once. I saw someone try to pull something like that. I talked them out of it. Um... And it's one of those things where, A, not fucking cool, right? It's mm -hmm. just fucking disgusting. Um, B, if someone's like, you know, it's always like, oh, if they send your burger back, are they going to spit in it? It's like, well, B, maybe you should take a look at yourself and maybe cook things a little more properly and shit won't get sent back to you. If you put out quality product, happy customer, nothing gets sent back. There you go. It's um, and people always ask me like, "Oh, you ever see that happen? You ever do that?" And I say no, and they to almost do a point where they don't believe me, mm -hmm. and it's just one of those things where it's like, "Oh, if a customer's a dick, whatever." You know, if someone's like a true asshole, and I've encountered this before, if someone's like a like a degrading asshole piece of shit, the most humiliating thing you can do to them is remove them from the restaurant. And embarrass yeah. them, their friends and family. <laughs> and maybe they'll take a cold hard look at themselves, and maybe they'll behave them. They'll behave differently next time they go out in public, and maybe we'll have a better world. I, I, um, I wish, I wish people got ejected from restaurants more frequently. Like I've, yeah. I've like I've sat like 
two tables away from a difficult customer that was such an asshole, it ruined my dining experience. Yeah, seriously. I, I, I had one of those in, in Vegas where uh, it's, uh, oh, what? The, I can't remember the restaurant or what. It, was it, it Quark's, might have been the replica of Quark's Bar and that Star Trek experience? That hasn't been in Vegas for years, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I would have loved to have go to that, but th this was some restaurant in the in in Paris, in in that one big um, casino, I guess, or they almost call it. They're almost like mini resorts. And anywho, um, you know, we were having kind of a 1950s uh, diner themed thing, and uh, the couple um, two tables down from us were having steak and stuff, and they kept ordering all this shit. And you know, stuff in Vegas, it's the, the prices are marked up because it's. To, Vegas, to get the, yeah. the tourist is Vegas. Same with Hawaii, for that matter. But um, yeah, so you go and you're like, holy shit, mm, look at that. And uh, these guys must be rich or something. And then they 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 beat the check. They just ran out there. Oh, like, that's really shitty. Like, and I don't know who yeah. pays for that or if the corporation just eats it or has a certain amount of money for. I guess, I guess the uh, corporation has to eat it. I mean, in retail, we call it yeah. shrinkage um, when people would steal <laughs> books and. And, and I don't know, shrinkage is just such a funny term, but they right. use, uh, when I worked at a media play, which was like a, um, a Best Buy kind of smaller chain, we, the, the highest amount of shrinkage was uh, magazines. Which oh, was, that's funny. Like, yeah, because the video games and computer games, like we kept behind uh, a lockbox. Or no, the video games we did, the computer games were just out there on the shelf. But yeah, the um, magazines people stole all the time, not just kids. Uh, but yeah, I, I found that really need their copies of entertainment tonight. Right, well, DVDs sure were in the lockboxes. Yeah, people are probably just looking at them and just probably just fucking forgot and walked off with them. I'm sure it's probably the case with a lot of that, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, some employees would steal. There's always some guy oh, yeah. that you got to think they can get away with it and sometimes they do but uh, yeah my final film and then we'll wrap things up here i know we're running a little bit late sorry uh is um i worked at a computer camp for a summer and while i don't uh -huh. think there's a computer camp movie it's basically a summer camp because you could do spend the night and you had to do some pe activities to make it uh -huh. somewhat uh so that the kids aren't sitting up their ass on a computer the entire time <laughs> although certainly they, they would all want to and i would want to being perfectly honest and I'm talking about a 1979 film by Ivan Reitman, uh, Meatballs. And, oh, yeah. and what that gets right, even though it was not an outdoor sports camp by any means, I did it, uh, I taught for Imagination Computer Camps. Summer of, this takes me back, Jesus, uh, 2004, working at a, uh, uh, on, was a computer camp counselor at Georgia Tech and also at Bentley College in Massachusetts, so just outside of Boston. And, um, you you know the the counselors had to be like on call constantly like you i never worked more hours in my life but it was fun to see what the kids did but also sometimes they would try and get up to, to hijinks because they're kids uh, my favorite of which is we when they started we gave all of them like a like an id that you would just wear around your neck uh that had a barcode on it and you would walk up to the um when it was mealtime, you would walk up and, and someone would scan the barcode, and that's how they took uh, attendance, really. Uh, so in, so if there's a kid missing, which could happen uh, sometimes, you would be able to take care, take care of it. And 
this one, and if you didn't, if you lost your ID, it's not like we didn't give you food, but you just had to be at the end of the line is what they decided. So you're trying to teach kids responsibility. And right. of course, uh, a fair amount of kids would lose their ID because it's, even though it's a necklace that goes around your, your, your thing and the uh, neck thing. What am I thinking? Um, so, so because this was a computer camp and these kids, they, we didn't have computers on loan for kids to use in the dorm if they were spend the night and they didn't have to be, but we did have a computer lab where they had to work on our desktop computers that we had uh, programmed and had security on and all that. Um, they, they made uh, bootleg um, IDs with barcodes that worked nice. in our system. And like we, we knew the kids were doing this. We caught them when they were doing it. It worked in the system. And I said, I, I'm really kind of a stickler for the rules, if you haven't noticed. And I, I, I had them go to the back line anyway and say, that's very clever. You're very smart, but you still lost your thing. This isn't the original one. Go to the end of the line. And I was getting into arguments with these middle school and high school kids. Oh, my goodness. That's got to be like a like security person's nightmare is having just like a camp yeah. of like mischievous tech savvy kids in one place. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah it was. We can and, override uh, it. it. The other big rule they had, which was, I think, pretty progressive. And I I stuck to it except for one time when a bunch of kids were playing a computer game in their room and they wanted me to to, to see it is as counselors, as adults, we were not allowed in the room of the kids, which I thought was great. Yeah, of course. That's understandable. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's typically like two bunk beds or something in a room. You had them in pretty tight quarters. But someone wanted to show me like this Parappa the Rapper PlayStation game that I never played. So I, I hung out in kind of the popular kids room like briefly. And another counselor was there with me. I, I made sure to be um, obvious with that. But we had one. They should have fucking fired this guy for it. But um, he like a, the kid wouldn't come out to go to class. And so you go, come on, go out of class. And you just wait outside the door. But this guy with the big kind of scary beard would just Ugh. look through the door and just stare and breathe heavily as the kid was getting ready. Gross. And like, I think the guy had some, some mental issues. Like he wasn't all there, which I mean, they can be a counselor certainly, but like they should have not even given the guy a warning. They just should have straight up fired him for it. And they didn't. Yeah. That's gross. Um, uh, on the other hand, I haven't thought about this in years. Uh, at the time, the Paris Hilton uh, sex tape was, was oh popular. My God. And one of the counselors, like kind of a cool, it was like the cool one, uh, showed it to some of the kids. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? That's a, that's a crime. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it's one thing if the kids are watching porn in their, like, I'm sure that happened, right? In yeah. their room. Like, like that's nothing we have control over, but you, as far as I'm concerned, you don't do that shit to impose yeah, upon someone man. else. That's dodgy, dude. Big no, no. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but it kind of like the goofiness of meatballs. And also like the, there's time in the movies when the counselors go out and do shit and, uh, and you kind of unwind and you kind of really have to overdo it to decompress from being around all the kids. It makes you kind of, uh, it's like you're, it's like you're a teacher in some ways. Right. I, uh, so two, two points. One, having seen the Paris Hilton sex tape, that is the least erotic sex I have ever seen in my goddamn <laughs> life. It looks like neither one of them, not certainly neither one of them had an orgasm, uh, and, and neither one of them seemed to be enjoying it 
on any level. It really did seem like two uncharismatic people trying to make a sex tape. Um, but <laughs> the Tommy Lee Pam Anderson tapes a lot better. That that at least gave us the immortal line: "Show me your weenus." Um, <laughs> yes. But uh, I did have a question about the uh, fake ID, those those fake yeah, barcode yeah, yeah. IDs they made. So. Were, were were they just duplicating pre-existing barcodes or had they found a way to invent new barcodes the system would recognize? They used freeware software that could generate barcodes uh, and they looked at an existing ID to find kind of the number pattern. of. I mean, they were, they were very, very smart. Uh, and yeah. it, it was before um, smartphones. I mean, some people could take photos with cell phones, but it was really... Uh, uh, people had the digital cameras in, in their pockets and stuff more the one kid had the camera right so you would have to it was a bit more of a, a job to get the picture thing on it but yeah mm. it was really really quite something yeah, oh. yeah no, this has been a very interesting kind of different episode i like it um yeah. we'll kind of special uh tune in next time when we talk about whatever the hell we want uh yeah. for the sequel cast uh, Fuck. You can follow me on Twitter at MATWBT.com. We're part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Uh, check that out. Um, there's a lot of great shows on there, like um, My Two Cents. No, that's not the name of the show. God damn it. But, th but there's a lot of good shows about video my games. My Three Cents, I think. And movies. Yeah, it's My Three Cents. And, uh, and all kinds of cool pop culture stuff. There's even one about like uh, kind of going through Bible stories, uh, kind of the more fantastical elements which is, is something uh, quite interesting. So, I mean, a lot, a lot of all kinds of stuff you can find at greenlitpodcast.com. Um, follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. I already said that, so let's go off to Thrasher. Well, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Internet Mayor, and you can pick up uh, things I've worked on on drivethroughrpg.com. Just search for William Thrasher. You'll find a lot of wonderful gaming PDFs. Alex? Very cool. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914 and drop by my YouTube channel called The Trailer Project. Um, there's some fun stuff there. Uh, there's some trailer commentaries, and then there's also just some odd one-off videos to check out, as well as a work in progress, which is a uh, silent found footage remake of Back to the Future. So Please, check it out. Yeah. Great. Please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. If you leave a review, um, we'll read it on the show. Yeah, why not do that? It's been a while. So yeah. all of those helps with the downloads. And uh, for SQLcast Special, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. And this is Alex. Same. I see you there, Tubby. Look like a fucking allowed on a bad day, you baby gorilla. Why don't you work in a zoo? Stop bothering people. I've got a call yesterday from Baskin Robbins. They said they're down to only five flavors. I swear <laughs> up as I talk to you. <laughs> I love that Baskin Robbins joke. It's so good. Uh, Dirty allegedly, work. they allegedly they want to try and do a sequel to Dirty Work, and the, the original film was filmed as an R-rated, but released as PG-13, so they cut quite a lot out. I'd love to. I'd love to see. Uh, I'd love to see a sequel. I like Norm Macdonald. Get as many surviving cast members back. Sadly, yes. Chris Farley's no longer with us. But then also, uh, I love the uh, like. I want to see that original R-rated cut. I want to see how far that that movie went. Oh, it's got to be out there. It's, it's, it's got some disturbing stuff already. It, it, it's pretty raunchy. What you have, like the, is it Jack Warner? You have some old actor that's in, in the bed at the hospital, 
and he says like back in my day we didn't have uh condoms for protection we we we, we just used uh high, highfalutin things like pulling out <laughs> highfalutin <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but it's like the, it does push the edge for a PG-13. I'll give you that. Yeah, I, I agree. I wonder um, if there was Frank Stallone jokes they cut out or whatever. But yeah, I think. Oh, you but yeah, it. if you're, I would say if you're going to do a sequel, because Chris Farley is dead, um, you could have his brother Kevin Farley come in and as oh, his yeah. relative, because Kevin Farley's pretty funny. He does a lot of stand up. He's on podcast right. a lot, and uh, does a great imitation of uh, of his brother Chris. Anybody messes this thing up for me tonight is through. Not only are you fired, your life is over. I'll see to it that you never work again and that you wind up tearing tickets off in Kuwait. And everybody's sucking sand. Nobody messes up. You understand me? Don't mess up.